Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Exodus how Moses memorialized the experience of being thrown out of Egypt through the naming of his first son, Gershom. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. So, what Moses is saying here is, I named the boy thrust out as in divorced away because I've been thrust out or divorced away from my people. And now I find myself a stranger, a foreigner in a strange land. And that's one rough name for one little boy. You picture going to the little boy, say, hi, little, little fella, what's your name? My name is thrust out as a divorced woman is thrust out of her house. Oh, you say to the boy, was that both your mom and dad's idea to name you that? Or was that just your mom's idea or just your dad's idea? And the little boy said, that was just my dad who named me that. And then we'd ask the question, why did your father give you that name? And the little boy says, because my dad wanted everyone to know that he had been thrust out from his own people and that he ended up being a refugee in a foreign country. That's a very strong message that Mr. Moses here is sending to the world through the naming of his son Gershom. Because Moses felt so much like he was thrust out or divorced away from his own people into being a stranger in a strange land, that Moses wanted to memorialize this. So that even after Moses died, the memorialization of his feeling through the name of his son Gershom would go on continuing to speak of how Moses felt. I wonder how Moses' wife felt, Zipporah, about this, giving her son this name. I wonder if she and Moses had the uh, what-am-I-chopped-liver type of conversations. You know, I wonder if she said to Moses, don't I get a say-so in the naming of our son? Well, whatever conversation took place between Moses and Zipporah, the boy ends up with the name Gershom. Poor kid. But the name Gershom is also very important. It's important for us because it gives us an insight into the heart of this man who God said was the meekest man on the earth. God said is my friend and God defended even against Moses' own sister and brother later on we're going to see. So the name Gershom is a life confession for Moses. The name Gershom not only describes the history of Moses' life up to this point, being there in the land of Midian, but the name Gershom is like a prophecy for the future of Moses' life. All of Moses' life can be summed up with the word Gershom. Moses could say about himself, just call me Moses the Gershom. The name Gershom is a good description of the way Moses just felt his whole life on earth was. I mean, throughout his life, Moses felt like Gershom. Moses the Gershom, ever the one being thrust out and ending up as a stranger in a strange land. Moses could say, just look at my name. 
Moses. Not even a Hebrew name, an Egyptian name. Why? Because I was the Gershom, the one thrust out by my people and living as a stranger in a strange land of Egypt. Moses felt like Gershom when he lived in Pharaoh's court, a stranger in a strange land. He said he would say, I'm no son of Pharaoh's daughter, till finally the Egyptians thrust him out. Moses felt like Gershom living in a stranger in a strange land with this pagan priest now in Midian. And Moses felt like Gershom living with his wife, Zipporah, who hardly understood anything about the circumcision, as we'll see later on. And after Moses rejoins his people and leads them, we'll see many times when his own people wanted to kill Moses. And during those times, Moses, even among his own people, Moses felt like Gershom, a stranger in a strange land. So Gershom for Moses is really like a sigh, a continual sigh of Moses' life. We we could call it the Gershom sigh of Moses' life. And whenever Moses really took a good look at this God-rejecting world that he was in, and everything that this God-rejecting world was offering to Moses, all his temporary glamour, its tinsel, and his temporary riches, Moses would think, This world really doesn't have anything of interest to me. And Moses would give out his Gershom side. And whenever Moses saw the bold, God-defiant, rebellious sins among the Jewish people and the Gentiles, Moses would feel like he didn't really belong among people, whether Jew or Gentile, who didn't love God. And in those times, Moses would breathe out his Gershom sigh again. And Moses died, finally, with a final Gershom sigh. And God heard so many times when Moses breathed out this Gershom sigh. And so for his final hours on earth, God and Moses take a walk, and they walk up a hill called Mount Nebo. And that's where God shows him two promised lands. The first promised land in Canaan, that he would not enter into, and the promised land of heaven that he would enter into. And that's where Moses breathed out his last Gershom sigh when he died and God buried his body. But Moses' trademark of this Gershom sigh was not only the trademark of Moses, the Gershom sigh is the trademark of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, or it should be, because it describes Moses and others who died in faith in Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, where it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That means they all had the trademark Gershom sigh. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. See, everyone, everyone, 
who yearns for God, who really wants God from his heart. The righteous and holy God, and he's yearning for it. He looks at the sin in this world. He looks at the world, what the world finds acceptable, which is not at all acceptable with God. And that believer breathes out, like Moses, the Gershom sigh. And God heard the Gershom sigh of Moses. And God hears everyone who breathes out a Gershom sigh. And he's prepared a place for Moses and for all who breathe this Gershom sigh, he says he's prepared a place for them, which he calls in his father's house in John 14. Now we read in verse 23, and it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of, their bond, of the bondage. Notice how it says in verse 23 that there was in the process of time. That's a great phrase. That's an important phrase. The process of time. It teaches us that time is a process. The process of time. How long was the time? Acts 7.30 tells us. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness in Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush, which we'll read about in the next chapter. So the time period here, this process of time, the amount of time is 40 years. And what process happened during that 40-year period? Number one, in Egypt, we're told that the king of Egypt died. Okay? Number two, with Moses, Moses felt more and more out of place, more and more separated from his Jewish people that he knew he was called to deliver. And for the Jewish people, the process of time was also working with them because the process over this 40-year period was to make the Jewish people feel their bondage more and more untenable, more and more severe. The process of time made their bondage feel more and more long. And it was clear to them as they looked at this that there was no way out of their bondage. They were in despair. They had no hope. So that now they're really crying out to God because of the process of time. All of that happened over the process of time. The process of time brought about a humility in Moses. When Moses was in Egypt, he thought that he was a somebody. But after 40 years in Midian, Moses had developed into a humble man because of the process of time. The process of time brought about this humility in Moses. But The process of time also brought about a humility in the Jewish people, as now they are crying to God. God uses a process of time to, as he humbled Moses, as he humbled the Jewish people, and he uses the process of time to humble us. And that's described for us in 1 Peter 5, 5-7, where we read, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. First, we're told a principle in verse 5. 
God resisteth the proud and gives grace to the humble. Then there's like unwritten words between verse 5 and verse 6, which are like, so therefore, so you should, so this is how we should live, because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So therefore, we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. In other words, we need to look at the bad, what we call bad, bad circumstances, hard times, terrible situation. And we need to look at that and say, that's nothing more than the mighty hand of God. No second reason, second causes. That's the mighty hand of God. And that's a choice that we have. Whether we will stiffen up and not see it as the mighty hand of God, but get angry with man and say, I'm going to fight my way out of this. And or if we'll see as what has happened to us as the mighty hand of God and humble ourselves under it. Then we're told, therefore, that we should humble ourselves so that God can exalt us, bring us out of it, in due time. Those last three words are very, very important. In due time, in verse 7. The last three words, in due time. That means God has a process of time. And during that time, he's doing his work of humbling us so that he can exalt us and waiting out the due time, waiting out the process of time, waiting out the due date, even for a pregnancy, is very difficult. And we get anxious during that time. And God knows we get anxious during that time. So that's why verse 7 says that we are to cast all our care on him, for he careth for us. We are to cast all our anxiety on God, for he is anxious for us. I'm sorry, I think when I said the last three words uh, in due time, they're really in the last three words of verse 6, not verse 7. Now, we come now to verse 23. And we read in verse 23 that the bondage has gotten so bad for the Jewish people that they sighed. It says the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And that can be viewed as like a first step in the humbling process. It's called the sighing phase. And everyone will sigh from a difficult time. Everyone will sigh from terrible thing that has happened. But the children of Israel did not stop with just sighing. And that's why the rest of the verse is so important when it says, and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. That's the goal that God has from the hard times. It's to drive us to himself. That was the goal that God had through Israel, through the Egyptian trouble, as he said in Exodus 19.4, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. God's goal for Israel was to, through the bondage, to bring them unto himself. God's goal for us is to, through the hard times, bring us unto himself. It's all about being brought to God. And when Israel let their bondage drive them to God so that they cried to God, then they were on the road to being brought to God. And when we let the hard times in our life drive us to God, that we cry to God, then we're on the road to being brought to God. And God wants that 
Because God wants to receive us unto himself. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said that the ultimate goal for us is to be brought to himself when he says in John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So if Israel only would have sighed and not cried to God, she would have been tragically fallen short. It would have been a tragedy, and it will be a tragedy for us if all we do is sigh and not cry to God. If all we do is lament and mourn for our circumstances without crying to God, that's a tragedy. That's why the progression of intensity is so important in verse 23. Israel sighed by reason of their bondage, then they went to the next step. They cried, and their cry came unto God by reason of their bondage. That expresses a progression of intensity. And God wants the hard times in our lives to carry us through the progression of intensity. This progression of intensity is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ expressed in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, when he said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Can you see the progression of intensity in what he's saying here? It's getting more and more intense. Ask, but don't stop with asking. Seek, but don't stop with seeking. Knock. And each one of those words expresses a next level, an increase in the intensity of the progression here. And when we have a really bad problem, a problem that just can drive us into the depths of discouragement, the first thing we do is the ask step. In the ask step, we ask God for help. We ask him to take away the problem. We ask him to remove this. We ask him to reverse this. We ask him to turn it around. And then the problem doesn't go away because God doesn't want it to go away. The problem is not removed because God does not want to remove it. And God does not want to remove it because he wants us to go on in the progression of intensity, to go on to the next step. And the next step from the ask step is the seek step. See, the ask step is for something, do something. The seek step is for someone. See, that's why the Lord says, Seek ye the Lord may he, while he may be found. See, the seek step is when the problem causes us to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, to seek the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We really want to get through now to the only one who can help us, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We must have a hearing by him. And that's expressed by the prophet Joel when he calls this in Joel 2.32, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Now we know that that name is not just God, that name is the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't just want him, we must have him. And we must have an audience with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens then? The problem still does not go away. Why? Because God doesn't want it to go away. 
The problem is not removed. Why? Because he doesn't want it to be removed. Why doesn't God want it to go away? Why doesn't God want it to be removed? Because he wants us to go to the next step in the progression of intensity. He wants us to go on to the knock step. The knock step is when we come to the special door, and it's the door that has to be open in order to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when this door is open, there's an intimate relationship, an intimate friendship, an intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This was graphically seen in Revelation 3.20, where it's reversed, and now it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is knocking, but he said this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. See, in this picture, we see the Lord Jesus Christ standing at the door of our heart and he's knocking. And he says what the purpose of his knocking is. He says, I'm knocking because I want to come in, because I want to eat with you. I want you to eat with me. That means I want to have close fellowship with you, close friendship with you. And that's the knock step. That's the knocking where it's a knocking on the door from a desire to have fellowship with him. That's the ultimate benefit of the hard times, of the trials, of the difficult situation that come to us to drive us through the progression of intensity from the ask to the seek to the knock to get to that close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happens, it's just like the hymn says, and the things of this world grow strangely dim. Oh, the problem becomes strangely dim. The hard times, the tough situation, the impossibility to scourge, it becomes strangely dim because I've gotten fellowship, I've gotten friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what's pictured in verse 23 of Exodus 2 here. It's a progression of intensity for the children of Israel going from the sighing to the crying. And then it says in verse 23, something wonderful. It says that their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. Now that's wonderful that God heard their cry when he cried. And why did he hear them? Why did God hear them? Because that's just who God is. That has to do with the character of God, which is described in Psalm 22, verse 24, where it speaks about God. He hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. See, that's God. God is a God who doesn't, oh, affliction, oh, no, no, God turns to the afflicted one. He turns to the one who is crying to him, and his heart breaks for them. And notice in verse 24, it goes on to describe, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Great couplet of words. God heard God remembered. God heard. God remembered. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. God remembered his promises with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He heard the groaning and he remembered what he had said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God made many promises. This Bible is full of the promises of God. It says in Hebrews 13, 5, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a promise. That's a promise of God. That's why we study the scriptures so that we can know what God has promised because when we cry, he remembers. And then it says in verse 25, he looked 
and he had respect. God looked upon the children of Israel and had respect unto them. That's the word yada. He knew them. He heard, he looked on them, and he knew them. He recognized them. He had respect. It means that. That's so very important. What did he see when he recognized? He recognized his people. You know, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we gain a title. That's so very important. And it's described to us in John 1, 12, where it says, But as many as received him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's a great title that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have. The sons of God. So that when we cry unto him, as in verse 25, then he looks upon us and he says, that's my son, those are my sons. That's my sons there. And that's a great thing. And that's something that we need to realize. Because we have sonship, we can go into the presence of God. We can touch the scepter of God and live because we've been given this title, because we've received the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll end here today at the end of chapter 2, and then we'll begin chapter 3 with this wonderful thought. And the thought is, in receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, we gain the title, Sons of God, which gives us a great position not to be overlooked. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you for... Lord, what you teach us through the word, we thank you for the life of Moses as it's been recorded here, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the history of the Jewish people as it's been recorded here. But most importantly, we thank you for the history of you dealing with Moses, of you dealing with the Jewish people, because that tells us how you deal with us. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Now, if you'd like to find out about any Tom Cantor resources, materials, books, or videos, you can find them available, many of them for free, at our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. And we also have an online bookstore there where you can purchase Tom Cantor materials right online. Just go to the Friendship with God website, look for the online bookstore under resources, and purchase Tom Cantor materials right there. Or again, we have many resources that are available free online just go to friendshipwithgod.org. Now you can also sign up while you're there at the website for a Tom Cantor daily devotional verse that will come directly to your phone or your email. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Sign up for the Tom Cantor daily devotional verse. Now also, you can go to the Friendship with God website and sign up for the Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries newsletter where you'll hear about our upcoming summer blitz sending out hundreds of missionaries across the United States into 17 cities to reach lost Jewish people. Or call us today to find out more, 1-800-247-3051.